Hello and welcome to this episode of Star Wars Generations. I'm Matthew, your host. I'm joined, as always, by Aaron McGowan and Alex Corman. And today we are talking about Return of the Jedi, wrapping up the original trilogy of Star Wars movies. Aaron, how are we doing today? And uh, yeah, what's uh, how are you feeling going into this movie? Pretty good. I was very excited for this movie. I kind of kept pushing it off because I like to watch these um, right before we record, like as soon as I can. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been talking about it for like a week with my dad, like, oh, when are we going to watch, you know, Jedi? Um, but we finally watched it last night, which I was super hyped for. And then I had two glasses of wine and slept through the last 30 minutes. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I had, I rewatched it this morning. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I'm excited for this. Oh my God. <laughs> Alex? Uh, yeah, I, I watched it, um, just a couple days ago, um, I always enjoy the the originals. I will say that like when I rewatched the originals with a more critical eye, I think that it's possible that A New Hope may have leapfrogged Return of the Jedi for me in my rankings. Mm-hmm. Um, although I still think the Return of the Jedi has some of my favorite like individual moments. I think as a whole, I've felt more gripped by by A New Hope. I still love this That's movie fair. with all my heart, though. I'm really excited to talk about it. I took very extensive notes. No, I very much get that. I think that. You know, for me, uh, as we talked about in the rankings episode, these all come in tiers and Empire, Jedi, and A New Hope are all like, you know, 9.995 versus 9.995.5, you know, or whatever. It's very, very close. But definitely, I think my, some of my, my, my feelings about these movies have changed a little bit as we're rewatching them. Like, one thing I realized is I think I've said a couple of times recently that, like, there's a lot that I love about Jedi, but I think the Tatooine's, you know, Jabba stuff is kind of wasted time. Rewatching it, I actually think that there's a lot of it that's really good. I just think that there are some parts both on Tatooine and, frankly, on Endor that are a little bit longer than they needed to be. That's how I felt this time around. Yes, I agree. Yeah, for sure. For sure. But I am very much an Ewoks defender. I'm going to be a defender of a lot of things in this movie. Same. So I'm just going to say, uh, I actually had the opposite thought while watching this yeah i literally wrote down i was like jabba's palace is so fun like i was having so much fun with like you know what alex i'm not judging you at all i'm just i i I am just impressed anyways impressed (laughs) that's so rude (laughs) i'm impressed that that gripped your attention for so long it's a positive thing i'm not kids do not make me turn this podcast around (laughs) but yeah no i just I enjoy it because to me it's like the cantina scene. You know, there's a ton of different mm-hmm. aliens. There's fun music. I mean, the snoodles snood scene could have side snoodles. We'll, we'll, can we, we'll get snoodles. to that. I have yeah. a, I have a paragraph on that. Okay, cool. Well, then let's just go into how we're gonna analyze this. <laughs> What's uh? What do we do first? It's a. Uh, what were your thoughts going into it, Alex? Well, we, we just, we just did thoughts going into it, and, it, and oh. we kind of just did both of those, the thoughts going into it and kind of thoughts about how we felt afterwards. So let's start with hot takes. Um, oh, I have one. Yeah. I'm just going to keep it rolling with hot takes. I mean, I guess Jabba's Palace is a hot take. Okay, y'all. This is the hottest of takes. I um, I actually teared up watching after the Death Star gets blown up, like, watching the celebration scene on all the different planets. I know everyone hates it so much. I'm with you. But I, I really love it. That's one of the only changes I actually like is I like seeing the different planets. Yeah, just because, like, for me, I yub grew nub. up with those planets. Like, yep. I know yub. what they are. Yub-nub. Yub-nub isn't yep. there, though. 
I, I, I know. That, that, I but, do miss Yubnum. Okay. I think here's my thought. I am totally okay with seeing it on some other planets. It seems a little silly, but yeah, there is some. I think I can totally understand why there's some power to it. I just felt like they should have kept Yubnum. Um, I agree. I agree with that. I, I will say that I also agree with Aaron. I actually, literally, my exact right words here in my notes were the one addition I low key liked was the whole galaxy <laughs> celebrating because, mm-hmm. like Aaron said, like, you know, we grew up with the prequels and, like, those planets. So, like, seeing all the planets from the prequels and the Clone Wars that are, like, celebrating, I'm, like, connecting. Like, I'm thinking, like, oh, there are characters and people that we have connected with on Coruscant, on, you know, Naboo, Naboo. on, you know, the various planets we're showing, on Bespin even from from the originals. And I'm, like, I'm picturing those individual people we've connected with celebrating and the joy and relief it's bringing them. And, like, I also recognize that, like, it is a little, like, jarring to go from – you know, Endor to that, then back to Endor. Um, but I also just thought it was an. It, I thought it was like the only like more acceptable change and addition. Except my hot take is also that I, sorry Matthew, <laughs> I like when Vader says no when he throws Palpatine no! down the shaft. Oh, I, did he? I don't. I don't know what you're talking about. I have no idea what that means. Um, l- let me just stay on the the um, the the celebration at the end. Yeah, I I think at first I hated it in part because like I would. The song Yubnub, I know it's kind of silly and ridiculous, but to me it actually – like so much of the theme of this entire trilogy is about like that technology isn't the answer and that technology can be defeated by the most you know primitive of peoples. Mm-hmm. And Yubnub to me and that whole scene of the Ewoks really kind of like captures that. And so at first I was like, no, I hate this. I hate all of this. But once I realized like, no, it's, it's just that I miss the song, you know? And I, I will say, I want to ask if anyone else had this thought, and maybe it's just because I had a very troubled childhood. I'm not sure. But when I was a very young kid, I think I saw this movie when I was six years old, and I saw the scene of them, you know, like playing a little like um, xylophone out of the helmets of yep. the soldiers. I thought their heads were still in them. No. no. Oh, my God. <laughs> what? You thought their heads were still in them? Oh, my God. I thought they had, like, decapitated the dead soldiers and, like, just put them there. And I was like, those Ewoks are so badass. That's so cool. <laughs> wow. This podcast just took a dark turn, y'all. That's so horrifying. Oh, my God. How no, would they I make a hollow that. tapping sound if they had skulls in them? I, you know, open up the skulls, take the brains out, then it's still hollow. <laughs> the, the acoustic awareness of a six-year-old is not really very high. Um, true, that's true. incredible. <laughs> but yeah. Anyway, so okay, so let's go on to to your hot take. Yeah, my hot take is I like the change with Vader saying no, no, and like, okay, okay, <clears throat> yes, like you know him just throwing him down the shaft, like you know that works, it's powerful and all that, but like. I don't know. I just like – like for me, it has a lot of emotion behind it and it's kind of like the first time Anakin actually decides I'm going to stand up to this guy. I'm going to finally after fucking being manipulated for 40 uh, – 30 years of my life, I'm going to stand up to this man and I'm going to like you know save my son and it just like – it vocalizes a moment of realization for me and I thought it fit really well like with the music and, the, and like the, the tempo pacing and – I know a lot of people hate it and think it's really stupid and it's memed up 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 the ass basically, but I really enjoy it. It adds to the emotion of the scene for me, um, and I think that it's uh, yeah, I think it's I think it's more powerful that way. And 
I also, I'm not saying I agree with it, Matthew. It don't crucify me, but I wouldn't say I agree, but I'm also not mad that Hayden Christensen is a force ghost. Oh, I am. I don't so, know. So let me respond to the first part. <laughs> Matthew is I, gearing up. The facial expressions they are making right now is incredible. <laughs> I, I think... You seem to – I think you have this very strong, like, victim complex about this because I always never attack you the way you seem to think about it. I'm, oh, I don't think you're I'm attacking trying, me at all. I just am ready for your response. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm trying to phrase this best as like because I, I think what I'm about to say could come off as very condescending and I don't mean it that way. <laughs> but I'm a New Yorker, so I often sound condescending. It's just I'm from Jersey, so I'm ready to receive it. Go there ahead, you go. Guys. There you go. It, at first, like – I, one of the things I appreciate about this podcast is getting to hear other perspectives that see things in different ways and experience them in different ways and help me to understand why they can enjoy something that I don't find enjoyable. And one of the things that I think I have, you know, I think there's a lot of evidence for this. It's been, you know, talked about in a lot of other places. Uh, but I also think as our conversations are going on is that over the decades, media has become a lot less subtle. And part of that's because we're just over – we're hyper-analyzing everything and also we're just in a like internet culture of just like you know media being thrown at us at every moment and things like that. And, and like there's a lot more like everything right up front and in your face. And it's a huge sweeping generalization. It's not true across the board by any means. But I do feel like sometimes I have a great appreciation for subtlety that I often feel like people of other generations, particularly youngers, don't share – which again, like, and my first thought is like, oh, you're wrong. But I don't think it's that. I think it's just different kinds of appreciations. For me, the subtlety of that scene that you don't need Vader to say anything because what he – he's not a – like, he's not an emotive person. He's not a person who ever – like, so much of what makes Empire so good is that – and here I'm not going to say uh, James Earl Jones. I'm going to credit the, the the physical actor who's in the Darth Vader suit, who I, I should have looked up their name and apologize I don't, like can convey so much emotion without saying a word. And to me, that's very much Vader's character is that he keeps all of the hate, all of the anger, all of the the dividedness inside. I think it's David and Prowse, so, if I'm not mistaken. Also. Yeah, it's David Prowse. Yeah. David Prowse. Thank you. Thank you for that. And so for me, for him to do that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. It, it just doesn't work for the character as I understand him. And so I I, I literally hit mute when that happens because I just don't want to hear it. I think it, it take for me, it takes no, away. And again, my, my point is very much like I'm not it, saying it's wrong for you. I'm just saying for me. And it will also connect it to because I wonder if this is also connected the other moment that I think is so, so wrong for Vader is in Revenge of the Sith when the Emperor tells him, you know, Padme actually died and he just does this like whiny boy <laughs> like, no, it, to me, that kills his character so badly. And I think, again, in my perspective, no, right. and I think this line, to me, they put this line in in part to be like, no, look, that's something Vader does sometimes. And to kind of draw a parallel between the two. Well, and of like, here's what he did when he thought his family was lost. Here's what he does when he says the family's back. To me, it just doesn't work. No, and that's totally fair. And I totally respect that. I think that the reason I think I interpret it the way I do is that Anakin and Vader are two p different people. 
Like their personas, and they, they like when Vader becomes Vader fully, he is shut out Anakin. Like we see this in the books and the movies. Like that name means nothing to me anymore. Like he refers to himself in the Thrawn books. He like refers to Anakin as a different person, a different being, mm-hmm. like separate from himself. And I think that Anakin Skywalker is extremely emotive. He's whiny. He cries. He yells. He screams. He throws tantrums. And so to me. Anakin Skywalker would yell out, no, no. And when and Palpatine tells him Revenge of the Sith, also, like, Padme's dead, he would have that reaction. And it's not until, like, he fully compartmentalizes, um, you know, his Jedi self, I guess, and becomes fully Darth Vader, does that, you know, cold, robotic, emotionless presence come forward like you're describing, Matthew. And I think that, for me, it works because of that, in that Anakin is returning. He is, he is like, taken back over. He has come back out. And Anakin is that whiny little emotional person, while Vader is not. And so to me, it's a verbal and audio, like, indicator that Anakin has reemerged from from this, like, cocoon he's been in. And I think that's why I I feel like it works well for the character, because they are two different characters in my brain. I mean, my headcanon is that Vader even talks in a more of a British accent because he wants to separate himself from Anakin so badly, he creates a whole new persona. So I feel like that's why it makes sense in my in my You know uh, James Earl Jones watching. is American, right? No, I know, but like the it's more of a British <laughs> vibe. It's I feel like, like the, the accent. real royal like Yeah, ro- that's the word by more royal maybe. like Right. Yeah, the presence in his voice for sure. Yeah. Aaron, there's a lot of things I could say, but do you want to chime into this debate before we uh, (laughs) – I go back and forth one more time? (laughs) I mean, I don't know. Like, it's not something that super bothers me. That being said, I haven't watched my VHS of Return of the Jedi in a long time. And that's something Mm -hmm. I kind of want to do in the next week here just to truly compare because I'm very used to that. No, no. And kind of like Alex is saying, it's something that makes a lot of sense for Anakin. Like, it almost seems like – this emotive part is taking Vader by surprise. It's like, to me, it's like Anakin suddenly wakes up inside of Vader and is like, oh my God, this is all so wrong. Like, no, no. Like, that's how it feels. So I can understand it, but I can understand how you, as someone who saw the original version, doesn't like that. Like, the subtlety, like you're saying, the body acting. (laughs) Like, I was watching that scene and it keeps panning from Luke being electrocuted to the Emperor to just Vader. Which is just a mask. Yet it's so emotive. Yet he's saying so much. And so, like, I agree. Like, it wasn't necessarily needed because the body acting was on point. Like, it was perfect. But it's also not something that really bothers me. That's fair. That's fair. I I mean, probably the fact that, yeah, I had watched the originals hundreds of times before these new versions came out. The other thing – the kind of one thing I would say in response is – and I think this is a much larger conversation – I don't buy that Anakin and Vader are two separate people, and I think hmm. I think that's an attitude that lets Anakin off the hook and is really dangerous because I think that's the way we we often can think about things bad people do. And to me, it we'll talk more about this towards the end, but for me, I think part of the story is that throughout this entire time, the goodness in Vader slash Anakin has been wrestling with him. Like, it's always been there. And he's been, you know, throughout, even like, you know, when he wants to offer Luke the chance to, you know, together we'll overthrow the Empire, you know, and which is still pretty less, much more so, though, by here, where he's kind of like, Luke, I wish you hadn't come. You know, he doesn't quite say that, but that's clearly the implication. And the, like, 
but we'll we'll get more into that when we get into to 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 Vader stuff. But um, to me, I just I, I, I if I believe that Anakin and Vader were two separate people, and so this was when like a psychic break changes, mm-hmm. then I would totally agree with it. I think I just have a very different perspective of those two characters. Yeah. Um, Do you have a hot take, Matthew? My hot take is that I freaking love the Ewoks, and I think the Ewoks are mm-hmm. absolutely essential to the story. Is that a hot take? Um. I, I think I it feel, is for older generations. Do you think it, I mean, well, I'm curious because I did a search on, um, I did a, a, like a search on like just commentary on this, and I saw so much hate from the Ewok towards the Ewoks, and a lot of it was coming from much younger as well, like okay, uh, including oh. some stuff about like, oh, Jedi is just as bad as as Return of the Jedi is just as bad as Last Jedi because the Purgles and the Ewoks are equally bad. Yikes! Um, but yeah, to me, maybe it's not the hottest of takes. Oh wait, but the the porgs. You mean the porgs? The porgs, yes. Oh, no, not the purgles. Not the purgles at all. <laughs> that took me Sorry, a second. <laughs> the, the porgs, um, and I, I just to me they're a very essential part of the story because the, mm-hmm. to me all of that stuff about like using trees to defeat ATSTs, you know, about like recognizing that the armor of the stormtroopers is really that bad that just being like knocked on that like i think a motorcycle helmet would protect you against the ewoks like banging you on the head with a rock yeah but the stormtrooper helmet for some reason doesn't no um they're a little silly they're a little adorable so everything from wicked cock blocking han solo to like (laughs) just all of the like cuteness to the complete ridiculousness of the fact that these stormtroopers are like crashing their their speeder bikes left and right but Ewok can somehow ride through mm-hmm. it's ridiculous and wonderful but I think it just is such an important to me it's so it's important for two reasons one is the nature versus technology but also just this idea of it really is everyone who's going to be affected by this and the C-3PO telling the story of the whole trilogy to the Ewoks and like bringing them in to these people who've already been affected because these soldiers have come in and colonized their their land and, and all these things. I did. I just think it is such an essential part of the movie. Yeah, I love the. I mean, I love the Ewoks too. I I agree. Yeah. I yeah. If that's a hot take, I I'm surprised by that. We're all it's nice and toasty together on this take. It's a lukewarm <laughs> take. We love Ewoks. Yeah, maybe my hot take is just arguing with both of you about your hot takes. Although it's really no Aaron's <laughs> fine. It's just Alex. Um. <laughs> but yeah, right. no. I To say a little more on the Ewoks, I enjoyed it so much watching this time through. And I know I talk about this game all the damn time. But still, my Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes mobile game. I just mm-hmm. finished building my Ewok squad because you need them to um, unlock C-3PO because he's like their god, you know? Uh-huh. And it was just so fun watching it. Like, you see, like, this other Ewok, Tebow, you see Low Gray, like, all these Ewoks that are named afterwards. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, so cool. It's like, oh, yeah, like, that's Low Gray. Like, he's the one with the skull on his head. He's, like, the shaman. Like, he has all these shaman abilities in the game. I just, like, like love how other media can enhance your enjoyment of the movies like that. Yeah, ever played that so. Ewok hunt game in uh, Battlefront? So scary! So I love sca- it. Like you are just like you're like a you're a stormtrooper basically like going through the it's a horror the, game the, the 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 woods of Endor and like you're being hunted by Ewoks in the dark and it's and you can't see them terrifying and then like, once sorry the just I, the pure horror of these little creatures lurking in the darkness coming to murder you. 
That sounds so much better, because when you first said that, I thought you were trying to, like, troll Eren. I thought you meant, like, a duck hunt game, but where you're, like, just shooting Ewoks <gasps> running across the screen. So that sounds much, much better. No, the game's um, actually so fun, because it's, like, so scary, but then once the Ewoks kill you, you regenerate as an Ewok, and now and you're, you're hunting, the, hunting stormtroopers. the stormtroopers. Oh, I love this. It's I a lot of fun. So much. It is very fun. Well, so one thing I thought was kind of cool, given what you just said about the, like, you know, the things being named afterwards... Do you know what's one name, one word that is never mentioned in the whole movie? Ewok? Ewok. Yeah. Never said. Yeah. Just like the publicity they did afterwards, you know? Yeah. yeah. Same with like how Boba Fett's not mentioned till the last film. Yep. Boba Fett. Very much so. Boba right? Fett. <laughs> All right. What's a part of the movie that didn't work for you? Slave Leia. It's just gross. Yeah. It's just – like – it's not even about the costume or, like, the chain. Like, I understand how it's like, oh, yeah, that's, like, Jabba. He has slaves. You know, like, that's understandable in the sake of, like, storytelling to me. But, like, just it's a little weirdly sexual. Mm-hmm. And I really hate that. I really hate that. I don't feel like it needed to be a sex slave for us to understand it's a slave. You know? Yeah. Like, that really doesn't sit well with me. There was a great article I read. I, I don't think it was specifically referring to that scene, but it was referring to these things in general. And it was talking about how there's this uh, trend in Hollywood. It was, yeah, it was, it was part of a review of Birds of Paradise um, because for the, how the movie didn't do that. But it was talking about how there's this trend in Hollywood where it's like, we want to show you that this character is terrible for the way they exploit women. And so we're going to exploit women. We're, you know, we're going to like give you that like voyeuristic thrill of the nudity, of the the violence against the woman, of like all the horrible things, in order to be like, but look, we're saying it's bad, so it's okay. Yeah. And it was talking about how in Birds of Paradise, when Harley is being tortured, they let you know it's happening, but they intentionally like the camera pans away, and then this and the same thing happens in another scene. Um, so yeah, I I, I totally get that. I'm wondering, and Alex, I'm wondering if you where you were with this. I, for me, it was something I had to be made aware of because I was a very late bloomer. I was very much the like, girls are gross and kissing as cooties until probably like age like eleven or twelve. So I didn't have the like, ooh, girl, pretty girl, not wearing clothing when mm-hmm. Slave Leia appeared on screen. It just didn't. I was just like, oh, yeah, she's a prisoner. That's what they dress her as, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then later I started to be, yeah, I was a teenage boy when I watched it. And so there, but like, it it was this almost sort of like, I forgot that that's something that a lot of people would enjoy seeing in that kind of a way. And Carrie Fisher is a gorgeous woman. And like, I think that, you know, but it, it, was, it was very weird to me, like, coming into this conversation, I think I was starting to hear people complain about it around the time I started, like, noticing it in that way. And so it has just always been in my head from that perspective. Yeah, I think I progressed kind of in a similar way. I mean, I think when I first watched it as a kid, I was just like – I didn't even really process that it was – I was like, oh, yeah, she's same. just chained up. And, yep. you know, she's just like, okay, whatever. Like, you know, that's just how – Chabo has his prisoners chained up, not a desert planet, I don't know. And then, like, you know, there's a period where, like, I'm first, like, you know, in middle school where you first start, like, noticing girls. I'm like, oh, Carrie Fisher is attractive. Oh, she's attractive. And then, like, you get a little bit older and you're, like, start actually thinking critically. You're like, oh, wait, this is problematic on a lot of levels. Um, And now it also is just kind of like, I'm like, I kind of roll my eyes. And that's part of the reason I don't like Chabo's palace scene as a whole too much. It's like, it drags on for a while. And, like, I think that, like, 
I don't know. It just feels a lot of it feels like icky, and I get it's supposed to like it's supposed to be like this vile gangster is supposed to make yep. you feel gross about everything he does. But I feel like there are other ways to show up that aren't as in your face as let's throw Carrie Fisher into a a slave costume. And I actually remember reading an article years ago when the Force Awakens came out where Carrie Fisher like was giving it like what advice would you give to the to the young actors entering? And she like said that like Daisy Ridley like don't let them make you a slave. Like I let them make me a slave. Yeah, like she was like very much like don't let them do this. Like I think that it was very like a very different atmosphere in you know the yeah uh, you know the eighties seventies where like you could kind of get away with that and like you know as a as a woman actress at the time probably she couldn't probably like fight against it as much as you absolutely could I think now um, I think that's another kind of you know a failure on Lucas to to just kind of succumb to that whole male gaze thing and it also took away from Leia's character I think in that like you know Leia. Went from this strong, badass rebel leader that, like, you know, is telling everyone what to do to, like, here's now. Let, let, let's have a whole scene to just make her, like, a sex object. And it's just very frustrating that they would do that to, to her in general for me. But that's yeah, my take, at least. I feel like, for me, it just makes me remember how shitty they were to carry through this whole trilogy. Yeah. yeah. Like, she wasn't allowed to wear a bra because George Lucas is a creep. He told her to lose 15 pounds when she already weighed, like, 100 pounds. Like, she didn't want to wear the Slave Leia costume, and yet they made her. Like, things like that, where it's like, I want to enjoy the films and, like, love her as an actress, which I do. And, like, she did great despite the odds. But it's just really frustrating when you come to the realization of just how women were treated and honestly still are. Like, there's a lot of things where if you don't agree to nudity, you won't be cast. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And yeah. like, yeah, um, it's just rough. What's the name of the actress who plays Daenerys Targaryen, who also plays Kira? Amelia oh, Clark. Amelia Clark. Emily, yeah, like you know, after like three seasons of Game of Thrones, when she became super popular and super powerful, she was able to say like, "Yeah, I'm not doing nudity anymore." Mm-hmm. But yeah. you know, and same with um, Margot Robbie. Like that's part of what I love about the Birds of Paradise movie is that she Birds of Prey. Sorry, Birds of Prey. Thank you. I keep seeing Birds of Paradise. No one people are confused. Um, you know. <laughs> The way Harley is portrayed, she is still sexy, but there aren't the, like, you know, shots of her bending all the way over in her tiny booty shorts that she, like, objected to but couldn't do anything about. So, mm-hmm. yeah, all that's true. And I think the the enjoyment of that. The, the one thing I will say is and, – and I don't think this lays any of it out. For me, I don't get the, like, this kind of ruins her character thing or not, like kind of, like, disempowers her character as much. Simply because, like, I do think it's powerful that she winds up, like, literally using the chains of her own oppression to kill her oppressor. Like, yeah. there's, there's a real power to her using that chain to strangle Jabba. But you're right. Like, you could yeah, you could do that without her, you right. know, with her wearing a whole lot more. I was going to say, you could have her chained up. No, I, like, I don't have an issue with her, like, in, like, you know, Jabba is enslaving people. Like, I get that's part of the bit. I don't have a, I don't, wouldn't have an issue if she was just chained up, but... The whole bikini and outfit yeah. is is the unnecessary part. Like if you just had her like in t- like you know in tattered clothes or something with like a that chain collar on, that would have gotten the the, the point across. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. And it's funny because also now I think about that so much more. I think that's also why so much of that part of Jabba's palace felt too long to me. But because like all the like dancing girls, like the I think this is where we start the like Twilight girls almost never actually wear a full outfit, because um, just you know. This poor, real silliness. Poor sweet Ula. She started mm. it all. Poor sweet Ula. Poor sweet Ula. Alex, what didn't work for you? Yeah. 
I'll I'll leave the the whole song change to you, Matthew. Um, I was going to point out that the explosions in this movie don't make sense to me. The sail barge, the explosion size is absolutely massive for one blaster ball, and then they just fly away. There's no damage to any of them when they're like they're picking up the droids as it's blowing up. No damage when they blow up the shield generator. If you watch that sequence, Han runs like ten feet. Lays down in the grass, then they pan out to like this half mile radius of an explosion. I'm like, brother, you're dead. And every rebel there is dead. And then the Death Star blows up massively. And I know this is not a fault of this movie, but more of the rise of Skywalker. But the fact that like they make it blow up so spectacularly into nothingness, and then they have chunks now in Rise of Skywalker, none of the explosions make any sense to me in this movie. And it like really grinds my gears and, and, and pisses me off because, like, they didn't have to make, like, none of the explosions had to be that spectacular. It was just, like, for Hollywood wow effects. But, like, mm-hmm. just logically, all of these characters would have gotten injured or killed in these explosions and they just weren't addressed at any point. Yeah. I do think in many ways this is the sloppiest of the movies. Like, yes. there's a lot of just little things. One of my personal favorites, because once you know to look for it, it's really fun, but it's so bad. Oh, no. There's a scene where, like, when they first go into that shield generator base, and a guy holds up, you know, a gun at Han and says, you know, freeze, and Han throws something at him. Yes! First of all, it's just true across all movies that someone will hold a gun at you, but then not fire when you attack them. But also, if you watch it carefully... The guy jumps back a full half second before the thing that hits him gets to him. Um, <laughs> and also, that's so, the bag of mines. Yeah, he and just like, threw the explosives. Like, like, you need those. Why would the stormtroopers not get rid of them at that point? And agreed. And then also, if you um, – what was the other thing? Oh, anyone who ever wants to say – that the Holdo maneuver in The Last Jedi is bad and terrible and ruined Star Wars because they'd never done something like that before. Can we talk about how apparently any Star Destroyer, if you just crash a fighter plane into its control into room <laughs> because there's no such thing as a backup control anywhere, you utterly destroy the ship if there's any gravitational thing nearby. Um, mm-hmm. Like, it just... I mean, yeah, like, I, w- it, I will give them... I had I wrote the same thing down, Matthew. Uh, the slightest credit is you have to knock out the bridge deflector shields first in, uh-huh. in that case. But then, yes, literally this guy just like basically like just decided I'm going on anyway. I might as well take the super star destroyer with me, <laughs> yeah. and just yep. takes out for, for for our listeners a, a star destroyer by itself is about the size of Manhattan. A super star destroyer is like the size of like a like the, like the state of New Jersey almost. Like it's, it, it is. <laughs> gargantuan just imagine that entire thing being taken down because you took out a room the size of like a school cafeteria like (laughs) no sense yeah and and like watching it as a kid and still watching it today it's thrilling and wonderful Mm -hmm. but there is a very eye-rolly quality to it and there's a number of little things like the the guy catching the um the the mines thrown at him and all the stuff or how about luke kicking the guy and doesn't actually make contact and he flicks his head back or (laughs) um the boba fett being taken down because han accidentally hits him in the back with like his with the jetpack goes goes haywire and that's how he gets there's so many silly things in this movie yeah um my 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 personal headcanon there was that the um they were annoyed at how popular this Boba Fett character had been. And so they're like, how about if we get him punked in the worst possible way? <laughs> but there you go. 
Um, and I, gl- I like that they have resurrected that character quite literally. Yeah. Well, yeah, I I think it's funny. I was thinking about like a thing that doesn't work for me. I think it's just like you know just the length of some of those scenes and some of the some of the stuff on Endor as well. Like I think the um, you know Leia bringing in Chewie and then having the whole thing where um, they hold up the thermal detonator, as, as well as the fact that apparently like Yoto Yoto can mean like five different things because they yep. say that it means five different things at various points. And just some of those scenes that I just thought went on too long. Um, the, you know, some of the stuff with the Ewoks and stuff like that. I don't really have any hot takes about this movie. I, th- I don't really have any, too many things that didn't work, the ones that you hadn't said. I think most of them for me are the additions. Um, so there we go. Yeah. You want, do, do we want to mention the, the, the massive change to the song in Jabba's Palace? <laughs> so, okay, here's, we're going to go into stuff that worked. I freaking love it. So really? Size Noodles was already a part of the movie, but was a very much smaller part. She's the alien who has the long, like, stalk with her lips at the end of it. And here part of it is some of the other media. She winds up getting to have this, like, gangster love story <laughs> with a much younger hut. Zero. Where she's totally Zero. the mall. And she she basically like like she she loves him but completely sells him out at the end when it looks like he's like not gonna get away with it. She's a wonderful like 1930s mobster movie character, and yeah, so I love getting to see her more of her. I love getting like the the guy with like the low deep jazz voice, the cockroach and, like, he gets, guy. Yeah, like <laughs> I love I love the it. blue elephant playing the Max Rebo. You Max Rebo. Call Max Rebo the blue elephant. Max right. Rebo, the inventor of jizz. Oh. Like, Aaron, out of everything you've ever said on this podcast, it might have hurt me the most, like, on a personal really? level. Max Rebo, the blue Max elephant. Rebo's band? It's, like, a famous... Ma- oh, Matthew, Alex, you, you Alex, we have a strict policy on this podcast that I, I, I may need to remind you about more often, that you do not need to know all the names of things, <laughs> especially when the names are not spoken in the movies themselves. No, but so I love being not- roasted for this because it's like, I claim to be such a super fan and I know way too many clone names, yet I've never heard of this man before. Max but Rebo and his band me. is like infamous and famous and I love him. so. And I actually wrote down that I don't like the change because they show Lex of Max Rebo playing his <laughs> little piano. That's fair. That's fair. I, I just want to reiterate, you can 100% be a super fan and not know no, all the No, you absolutely names. can. I just like to – just so everyone's clear, I just like to make fun of Aaron um, yeah. specifically. That's awesome. I accept but it. also, Max Rebo is like a legend, Aaron. He survived the sail barge explosion to continue playing in the Book of Boba Fett show. <gasps> T. Yeah. Okay. And I didn't know that. he like – he has a whole little side quest in the Lego Star in the new Lego Star Wars video game, and he's like, he's just this cool jazz playing guy who has a band that travels around the galaxy and plays. He is like such a yeah. vibe, and I love him. He's a king. I love it. He's very awesome. He's very awesome. So, um, yeah. If I may, before we continue, I just want to. I had a little fun fact I wanted to to throw out to people about this scene is Jabba mm-hmm. the Hut. The puppet was one ton and took three Holy people shit. to operate. <laughs> yeah. You had one person. With the uh, who had the right arm and the mouth, one was the left arm, the head, and the tongue, and then one person was fun fact for you the person who played low gray the Ewok also ma- did the tail was the for tail? Jabba, would just jiggle the tail like every time Salacious Crumb would take a little bite, would jiggle it a little bit more. <laughs> and I thought that was really interesting, I just wanted to share. That's all. That is I mean, I did think that, especially for that technology, like the rancor now looks ridiculous, but in a really cute way. 
the Java technology, though, totally worked for me. No, like, it does. It does yeah. Like, I never have a sense of, like, I'm watching a puppet. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a real character. Yeah, I agree. And if we're just going to keep talking on Jabba's Palace, I'll just mention a few things that make me like it more. Um, so I just love Boosh and, like, Lando's skiff guard. Like, mm-hmm. I just love the little disguises. And especially, Boosh is very um, special to me because I... Um, For those who don't know, who's Boosh? Oh, sorry. Yeah, that's Leia's, like, um, bounty hunter disguise mm-hmm. when she brings Chewbacca in. Um, but... Yeah, when I started cosplaying, um, I had just watched Return of the Jedi again, and I had seen, like, a troop of cosplayers, and Boosh was one of the ones. And I was like, this is so cool to have such, like, a niche character. And, like, I took a picture Mm -hmm. with whoever the cosplayer was. I don't know their gender, because Boosh. Um, But, yeah, that character just, like, for some reason means a lot to me when it comes to cosplaying. So I just really enjoy seeing them on screen. Yeah. I, um, I get it. I did really enjoy it. And I it, it's kind of a weird counterpoint to what happens next. But I do think that like, you know, Leia going from being the princess that gets rescued in the first movie, which, yes, she gets to be much more kick ass than others, but she still is the damsel in distress. And now here, quite literally, Han is the damsel in distress and she's rescuing him. Yeah. <laughs> with this like really badass, well thought out plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Though I do wonder, she gets in by bringing Chewbacca, right? Yep. She doesn't go to release Chewbacca first. Nope. She goes to get – and once you get Han out, probably you just need to get out as fast as you can. Was she just going to leave Chewbacca? (laughs) Well, Lando was stuck in there too. I feel like they should have had Lando release Chewbacca. He was already a guard. Like have Lando release Chewbacca at the same time. disguised. Oh, I am an idiot because I did watch it a couple days ago. We had a lot of Christmas stuff going on. I forgot. I did have a hot take. Oh. Luke is a dick to his droids in this movie. He is. Like you do – I, I get that there'd be some concern that C-3PO, like, couldn't sell it, but I feel like giving R2-D2 and C-3PO to Jabba without C-3PO having any idea, knowing that it's entirely possible these two droids do not survive, uh, or at least certainly that C-3PO doesn't survive, though I will say they don't understand what the word disintegration means. Nope. Because that droid who was being tortured was not disintegrated in <laughs> yeah. any shape or form. I will say, though. Is that droid? Was that not a medical droid? It looked more medical than. Um, it would no. It was a little, little different. Me. I think it was just an early model protocol okay. droid, from okay. what I was yeah. gathering. But I agree with you, Matthew. I actually wrote down that like, I mean, I, I, I what I like to believe in my head canon is that it's part of the whole idea that like we're like unsure if Luke's going to turn to the dark side. I mean, he's being a dick to his droids. He comes mm-hmm. in and right off the bat is like. Jabba, I'm going to kill you if you don't release Han. He's like that is so un Jedi. Like he would be threatens death immediately and i feel like it's possible that they're trying to like you know that was all part of the whole persona they were creating of like luke is right on the edge is he going to turn to the dark side is he not like i don't know but i also agree he's a dick to the droids <laughs> yeah yeah no i totally get that i i don't necessarily think that fork stoking is by definition a dark side act and that's something we'll talk about a lot as we go on because i think that there is some and and I mean, I have this whole theory that, like, the best Jedi are all the ones who were not raised by the Jedi Temple in the years leading up to that. Because, you know, the ones who are all the best are the ones who break every rule that Yoda has. You know, um, Luke, Kanan, Ezra, um, Qui-Gon, you know, Qui-Gon was raised by them, but was very much against them. So, yeah, I, um, I, like a little, I like some greatness with these characters. 
I had two more small points about Java's Palace, and we can move on because I know we've talked about it forever. Um, sure. One is that the Rancor, when I first watched this movie, like earlier in my life, the Rancor caretaker crying felt so dumb and silly to me. I'm like, why is this man crying? But I after watching Book too. of Boba Fett and seeing how like intelligent Rancors are and like the connection that people can have to them, I started like actually kind of feeling sad when the Rancor died this time. And I was like, yeah. like I understood it had to happen, but this Rancor was like probably abused i mean he had chains on his wrists he was like probably like not treated super well by jabba and then this little caretaker who did take care of him like i was like damn this actually makes me feel really emotional now which i had not felt before no Um, same when it like the door shut on his head and he made like a little like yeah sound i was like oh god kill the dog because well, he, he wasn't evil. It was just uh, it was just an animal that was hungry and was yep. starved yep. so that it would eat, you know, everything that gets thrown down to it the first chance it gets. And, yeah, I, I think it's all yeah, very true. Yeah, I don't know. That was sad. Um, uh, I'll just interrupt you, too, by uh, my one little other thing about please. the palace. Why do you put pain receptors on the bottoms of the feet of a some kind of a Gronk-type droid? Like, it's not quite a Gronk droid because it can say, no, no. <laughs> And it's so cute. And I feel it so much. But then I'm also like, why does that droid have pain receptors on the bottom yeah. of its feet? <laughs> yeah, I got nothing. Who for knows? Yeah. Um, but what I was gonna say was just kind of another little thing that I was always I always liked from when I was a kid. And if you ever read like the Star Wars encyclopedia books, they gave you like info yep. on random background characters. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things that were my, I was obsessed with as a child for some reason were, if you ever noticed, when they first walk into the palace, there's like the spider droid walking in the background. Yes! Those are actually, um, they're called Bamor Order Monks. They are the brains of monks in little glass jars by the spiders. And it's a whole order of monks that basically they attain enlightenment and don't think they need any physical possessions. So they remove their brains and they put them in these spider droids to move around. And... Um, they have like palaces across the galaxy, and that Jabba's palace was a monk palace that he took over. This is all canon, I promise you. Um, and uh, they actually still have like a storeroom underneath the palace of like brains of like their own people, and also brains of people that have like committed transgressions against them. And Jabba lets them still live in the palace because he thinks they're so gross and grotesque looking that they kind of add to his vibe. I'm not even joking. <laughs> that's why he lets them roam around. And I think that's so cool that, like, that is the history of, like, why this palace exists and that Jabba just took over and is like, yeah, these monks can stay. They're cool. They're weird looking. And so that's that. my that's my other thing about the palace. You and the award for the deepest cut we've had on this podcast yet. That was so awesome. <laughs> And I will now add to my list of complaints about Book of Boba Fett, even though I do like it a lot more than most, that there was nothing of that story. I I was so upset about that, Matthew. I don't (laughs) think you understand because, like, this has been, like, in the canon world for, like, over two decades. And I'm like, how do you not – how do you not, like – I don't know. I have – Yeah. How do you miss the monks? (laughs) Yeah. My last thing on Jabba and then we really – we'll move on. Uh, The moment when Bosch has, like – Bosch, is that his name? I think it's Boosh. It's B O U S H H. Cool. Well, I find the character amusing. Um, amuse Boosh for the foodies out there. Uh, oh. I love bad puns. But anyway, where, when Boosh like pulls it all off and like is settling in, and Boba Fett just gives like this little nod of respect. Yeah. I was like, that's awesome. You know, game recognizes game. Game <laughs> recognizes game. I have sorry. Last yep. thing. Oh my god. Yeah, go for it. It gets me every damn time. After Leia chokes out Jabba, the subtitles go. Death rattle. Yes. <laughs> I love that so much. I so wouldn't good. know that. I don't watch it with subtitles ever. 
Yeah. Sorry. Uh, AD, uh, autism, autistic, ADHD brain. I need the subtitles. See, like, um, if I have subtitles, all I want to do is read it and not watch this, what's going on on the screen. I struggle yeah. with it. Okay, so let's let's move on. Uh, yes. Let's talk about Endor some. I think we're gonna we kind of like abandoned our normal uh, uh, way of doing it. We're going to talk about some like the important scenes. Well, before and stuff. we talk about Endor, we haven't discussed anything on the new Death Star or like Palpatine or anything that happens in between. Oh, I was not going in chronological order. Oh, I was definitely okay. Gonna I'm get sorry. To that. You so, go, yeah. Okay. Um, it doesn't make much sense in terms of the piloting skill of the various people. There is no way you can jump off a vehicle that is going that fast and live in any way, shape, or form, yep. no matter how soft the grassy land on is. But I still love the speeder bike scene. So, like, I get such oh, yeah. a vi- – I think maybe that's my pod racing. Like, mm, and yeah. is Because to me, I get such a visceral thrill. And I uh, – it was all shot in Mere Woods, which is this incredible redwood forest just north of San Francisco that I've gotten to visit. Me too. And- I cried. Just walking through there, yeah, it was so powerful seeing those huge trees, and yeah, I just, I, I just love that scene so much. I actually wrote in my notes, "quote The Endor chase scene is truly iconic." Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, because I fully agree. I think it's like so much fun. <laughs> I think that the stormtroopers, who like the forest troopers, who are scout troopers rather, who are uh, who are piloting these things, are idiots. So like looking back to see what went on and they're just running into trees and like that was so funny. I can't see anyone that's not a Jedi possibly navigating that forest. But I agree it's very fun to watch. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. I'm gonna do it again. Um my Star Wars Oof. Galaxy of Heroes game. The most recent raid is the Endor speeder chase. And I literally paused the movie to show my dad this last night because it takes all of your characters and puts them on speeder bikes, so you got a view from the back. The Ewoks have absolute dump trucks. <laughs> like badonkadonks. Like everyone in my guild was talking about this over Discord. We were like, why they got big old things? Like, I would like to discuss Ewoks. that um, this is coming a few days after Aaron asked Matthew and I if we wanted to do a episode after dark. So I feel like <laughs> if you want to join us for that eventual episode, you will get more takes like dump trucks on the Ewoks. Just, just for everyone to be aware. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Also, uh, there's me in my tree and Muir Woods. Oh, wow. I was crying. So. Alex, we're looking forward to the day when this is a video performance. This is still a radio. And I'm just going to remind you of that. So everyone just listen. I enjoyed the photo. I, I, so did I. But my thousands of listeners probably did not. <laughs> but they enjoyed us bantering about it for the extra 30 seconds that I didn't need to do. Uh, all right. So let's actually now talk about the Emperor and, and Vader and all that because it is just – I think it's a big part of what makes it one of my favorite movies is mm-hmm. – we get to see, again, subtlety. It'd be one thing to – I think it'd be very hard to, to really like tell us, oh, look, the emperor is so big and bad and powerful. And we get some of that with in the end. I don't think there's any better way to get people to understand how terrifying the emperor is than to have Vader say, I hope that you work harder – because the emperor is not as forgiving as I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm the guy who kills people for like not doing their best, and the emperor is scarier than me. Mm-hmm. And this, you know, construction guy who was standing up to Vader and being like, "We're doing our best, sir. We couldn't possibly do any better." But to the emperor, he's willing to say, "Okay, we'll work harder." Like that—that that to me is just such brilliant writing of of a way to really convey who the emperor is without him even appearing on screen. Mm-hmm. I just want to throw in a quick note. Um, when we first 
enter the movie and we see stormtroopers working outside on the Death Star. Why do they have droids working on this thing? Like, that's got to be one of the worst jobs in the galaxy. I just want to point that out. But I agree with you, Matthew, in that, like, Palpatine's presence. And also, like, you know, we saw a hologram in, in Empire. But, like, you're like, what is this, like, is this – especially, like, the first cut. You know, you have this kind of weird-looking emperor. And you're like, what, what is – what am I – where do we get – is it going to be giant? Like, what what is this powerful being bigger than Vader that controls this whole empire? What are they going to look like? And this frail old man with a walking stick comes off of the ship. And you're like, what? That is the all-powerful being? But, like, something about it also strikes so much fear because there's so much mystery there. Like, the hood is up. Like, they make a very like specific um, choice where they're walking side by side. You just see his nose and his mouth and not his eyes. And it's, like, this menacing presence. And you're like, it's so unassuming. Kind of like Yoda. Like, very unassuming but you know there's a lot of power there, and you just don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, it's sick. I mean, that's the problem with, like, being younger is I always knew what the Emperor looked like. So that would have been really cool to, like, have that surprise. But it's like, yeah, the Emperor is a wrinkly old man, and he uses Force Lightning. Yeah. That is his one trick. <laughs> but he's very I good do with think that it's trick. awesome in how he – how much he counterbalances Yoda in that way. Like mm-hmm. Obi-Wan and Vader are the like knights, you know, they're they're mm-hmm. strong fighters. You know, Obi-Wan has gotten pretty old by now. And then like Yoda and the Emperor are these two like wizened old creatures. Um we'll get to Yoda's death in a moment, which I have some thoughts about. Um but like they both have incredible power. Uh, and- I want to say one more thing on Palpatine real quick that I really noticed this time around is that he spends so long being so secretive about his plans and very like covert and everything he does, but he has so he's so pompous at this point. Like he's ruled the galaxy for twenty years. He's so open. He's walking through all the stormtroopers, all the officers next to Vader, and he's just open about his plans. He's open about being a force user. He's not trying to hide anything. He's so overconfident, and like you would think he would have learned. But the Jedi's overconfidence was their downfall, and his overconfidence is his downfall. And I just never really noticed it, but during that whole conversation, he's just like, you know, oh, we're going to turn Luke. Oh, this Death Star's going to be operational soon. Like, I have no problem. Here's what we're going to do. Like, no secretiveness at all. And it just shows his character growth in, like, I am so confident. I have won already, and I can't possibly lose. And that was his downfall. And I just thought that was kind of cool. That is cool. Something that they've established pretty well and kept to, and I don't know how intentional this is because on one hand, it, it kind of shows the Emperor as being pretty dumb, but also I think it shows, like, as, as you said, his growth and all of that. Almost every time the Emperor tries to convince someone to come to the dark side, and, and including other dark side people like Snoke, they specifically say, like, give in to your anger become part of the dark side like they tell them hey here's the trap i've set for you i want you to walk into it (laughs) Mm -hmm. the only person to whom he never says give in to the dark side is anakin skywalker which is the one person we see him successfully recruit and i i think there's something so interesting there because you know he he doesn't say kill mace and your journey to the dark side will be complete Mm -hmm. he just says help me and i can help you and and I think it was more subtle with Dooku as well, based on what we know. I think that when you're turning, when he was turning Dooku, he was also of that level of subtlety, and then he got far less subtle in his attempts. Right. 
we just yeah. we just don't see it happen with Dooku on screen. Right, so. right. You see a little bit, I guess, of the conversations in uh in Tales of the Jedi in that one episode where he keeps calling him my friend and like mm-hmm. yep. very cordial yep. and very like, you know, you're my partner, you're my friend. Like Oh yeah. Very manipulative. Um yeah. do you guys want to talk sorry, go ahead, Aaron. You go. I was say the book play oh I was just going to say that's a really cool point, Matthew, that I've never noticed before. Is that like, yeah, every time he's like, use your rage, people are like, no. Yeah. Or like, I will for a second, but like, no. Um, But yeah, it's like he was really that, like, poison apple to Anakin, you know, like, Mm -hmm. looks so sweet and just destroy you from the inside. So that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, very much. And, and you're right about Dooku, and I'll say, I know it's not officially Disney canon anymore, but the novel Plagueis shows oh, just how well book. the slow seduction of Dooku, and it's utterly brilliant. Aaron was a little confused. Just for everyone, like Darth, I think it's, is it Plagueis or Plagueis or whatever I it is? Plagueis. I read the first third of that book, and then I had to give it back to the library. So. Oh, <laughs> I, I own it. You can borrow it whenever you want. It's for so sure. good. But for our listeners, that would be not technically canon, maybe still canon. Uh, Darth Sidious's master who trained yeah. him. I think they that's ha- still they have canon. changed some details in it because, to me, one of the most important details in it, which I'm really sad that they changed, is that it is the death of Qui Gon that is what drives Dooku to leave the Jedi. Mm-hmm. Whereas in current canon, that hasn't true, but. Moving it, on. it is still it um, is still canon though, right? Like he's definitely still his master. That's the, that's the whole point of that conversation, Revenge of the Sith. Is that he is, but uh, according to Tales of the Jedi and some other things, he goes to the dark side and uh, and leaves the Jedi Order before Qui Gon dies. Right, right. And I get what you're saying. Yeah. No, no, right, 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 right. right. Um, what I was going to ask was, do you want to keep talking about the rest of Palpatine at the end? Do you want to pause for Yoda's death? Let Let's do Yoda's death and Luke okay. on uh, 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 Dagobah. Dagobah. There. Aaron, what was your thoughts on that scene? I'm going to be honest. I was very interested to watch this scene again because every other time I've seen it, I'm like, oh, Yoda's going to sleep. Oh, he fucking died? Like, what? <laughs> like, that has always gone over my head when I was, like, a kid. I, like, just didn't really process it or see it coming. And I was like, why is Luke crying? Like, what's... Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, shit, he's dead. Like, he just poofed into nothingness. Like... Everything about that scene has gone over my head for like, like, since I watched it like mm-hmm. younger. Um, but this time through, I wrote it down. Like Mark Hamill fucking killed the acting in this film. Yeah. Like he is so believable. And also, as someone who's dabbled in acting, you know, throughout high school, a little bit like commercial work. Um, it's just so impressive to me. People who can just cry like that. Mm-hmm. without like working up so much but like just the tears while still like being so strong is just very impressive it's very um i feel like meaningful it carries like a stronger implication yeah yeah i i love and hate that scene because i do think okay. the like when luke shows up he's like yep i'm getting really old probably not gonna be around here too much longer and i'm like okay so you've got like six months yep so, no he's actually got about Seven minutes. Literally. Um, and it is a very slow decline, which I think is kind of silly, but fair enough. But here's my question to you all, though, because at the end of Empire, he leaves and they keep saying, like, your training is not complete. You need more training. Mm-hmm. Then in this, they say a couple of times, like, you know, your training is now complete. You just need to finish it by facing Vader again. Did he return? 
in between Empire and Jedi for more training with Yoda. Because mm. it doesn't indicate to Ooh. us in any way that it did, but I also don't think it makes any sense if he didn't. That's very That's good a great question. question. I've never Thanks. thought about that before, actually. Mm-hmm. I... Yeah, because I mean, Empire, he's well in the dumps. Like, okay, he just here's lost my take. I think that he has to go back, actually, at some level, or commune with Yoda in some way, because they cut they cut the very brief scene of him building his lightsaber on Tatooine from the movie. Mm-hmm. But how would he know where to acquire a kyber crystal? Ah. How would he know even how to build a lightsaber? He has no basis of knowledge for that. The only people that could have taught him were Obi Wan or Yoda. So I think he either communes with Obi Wan or Yoda. Everyone's force ghost or goes back to Dagobah yeah. with Yoda because he has to be trained in that way. And also his skills improve a good bit between mm-hmm. Empire and Return of the Jedi. And it's only like – it's not a very long period of time. It's, it's not like a less than a year period. Well, so in the book The Princess and the Scoundrel, which is a very fun book. It's not like the deepest Star Wars book. But it's – you know, it's about Han Solo and Leia immediately after Return of the Jedi. Uh, and they established that it was just about a year that Han was in Carbonite. So, like, we don't know how much time there was. Presumably there was, like, a couple of weeks of, like, Luke on Dagobah in Empire and then making all the plans and the Bothan spies. And, I mean, there's got to be a while of, like, um, the Death Star, you know, getting to be the point to be built built and stuff like that. So, yeah, I I think we're supposed to think there's a significant amount of time between the end of Empire – and then there's at least a year until Jabba's Palace and then probably some more time after Jabba's Palace. Yeah, um, yeah which before. also something that kind of struck me, like seeing Luke for the first time in this movie, it's got to just be like um, situational, but he looks so much older. I wrote that too. You look so yeah. much older. But what's funny is I was watching it with my dad and he says, wow, Mark Hamill looks so young here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then also I look at it and I'm like, yeah, like that is a very young man, but the way he's carrying himself, like mm-hmm. Luke, is so much older. It's the weight, I think, the emotional yeah. weight of everything. And, and so I think like, probably they did some things with makeup and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I think mostly it's Mark Hamill's acting, which yeah. is incredible. Like, which went, it's just every movie gets better. Yeah. yeah. Um, if, if I may say, I just gonna get to point out my take on Yoda's death is ever since I was a child, this scene has made me cry, and it still makes me cry as an adult, and it hits yeah. me very hard, and. I actually, like, when I graduated college, I put on my graduation cap, pass on what you have learned, and I have aspired for most of my life for that to be, like, my final words in my actual life is to, like, say that to whoever is next to me. Because I think that's such, like, a – I know his final, final word is, like, there is another Skywalker. But pass on what you have learned is just such, like, a really beautiful way, I think, of, like, wrapping up Yoda's entire persona of, like, he's dedicated 900 years of his fucking life to, like – Teaching others and to, like, you know, trying to avoid having to fight but, like, passing on knowledge and trying to help. And, like, was he always right? No. He had plenty of, like, issues and dogma that were not correct. But I think that he always came from a genuine place of love and care and trying to do what he thought was best. And the fact that, like, he passed that on to Luke and it's just like, you know, I'm going to be gone. Pass on what you have learned. Really hits me um, every time. And I also, like – I'm curious what you both think about this. Well, can I, can I just say something that, about that? Because oh, yeah, please. I, I was kind of tearing up as you said that because I, I'd never made this connection before. But that's the la- – you're right. That's the last thing he says to Luke until 
Luke is struggling to pass on what he has learned. Mm -hmm. And Yoda appears to him again. That scene in The Last Last Jedi Jedi and says, use your failure to teach. Yep. And I was just like, I never made that connection before. But now seeing the two of them together, it's one more reason I think Last Jedi is so good. In The Last Jedi, that that scene might be like my favorite. That's one moment. Yeah. makes me cry every time because of exactly that because it feels like Yoda is coming to him in that moment where he really needs needs him and it, it, it I agree with you it hits hard um, well especially because I think it's hard to think of this because I, I I feel like the thing that Ryan Johnson did that most upset Disney and we'll, we'll talk about this more in the movie but here it's just connected to this is that I think he was deeply he was trying to be deeply critical of the prequel era Jedi and which he should be yeah and to me, that's part of when Yoda says, like, the greatest failure teacher is, mm-hmm. and then he says, just burn the Jedi texts. I think part of what he is saying more subtly is, Luke, you're trying to do things exactly the way I did them back in the day. I wasn't perfect. Mace wasn't perfect. We didn't do it all right. Burn the texts. Do it your own way. That's yep. okay. Yep. Yeah. Now, real quick question for both of you on this in this area. In my head canon, he lies to Luke about being the last Jedi in order to motivate him to do what needs to be done. Because if he said like, oh, don't worry, Ahsoka's running around and Ezra's running around and there's, there's other people to handle this, he might not have gotten it done. Do you think that Yoda is lying on purpose? And I know that like it's just a product of like when the, the everything came out. But now in mm-hmm. when you take it holistically, do you take it as it was a lie on purpose? Do you take it as Yoda didn't actually know that like the rest of them had – survive and we're running around what do you two see in that respect that's interesting it's hard because like in rebels yoda speaks with ezra and ahsoka whether or not and ahsoka whether or not that's truly yoda whether or not that's some embodiment of the force is never clarified but if you take it as that's yoda then yoda absolutely knows there's other jedi out there but at the same time ahsoka has said many times she is not a jedi mm-hmm Kanan and Ezra are considered Jedi, like Balin calls them in the Ahsoka movie. He's like, well, they're like some nomad Jedi or something like that. Wild Jedi. Wild Jedi. Yeah. Yeah. And so maybe he knows there's other force users, you know, Jedi types. But like to Yoda, that's not like the type of Jedi he's trained Luke to be maybe. Mm. And so maybe in his eyes, like, he's saying to Luke, you are the last of your kind. Like, you are the last Jedi. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like, that's something I've processed now in the last 30 seconds. Um, yeah. So. Mm, I, like <laughs> I think that is a completely legitimate headcanon. Uh, and what I'm, what I'm going to give is, I think, also just as much a headcanon, but it's how I understand it. And it's, mm-hmm. granted, my bias is to try and preserve what is said in the originals as much as I can. Right. Um. Because to me, I do think that Obi-Wan and Yoda are both recognizing that they screwed up by lying to Luke about his father. By not telling – a lie of omission. But, you know, when Obi-Wan says, well, but what I said was true from a certain point of view, like, (laughs) no, dude. Like, you know, I didn't cheat on you because, like, we only did these – you know, we didn't have sex in a bed, so it wasn't (laughs) sleeping with her. So I – you know, like, like it's that kind of nonsense. Um, so I do think in this he is truly coming clean and, and trying to be as honest as he can. 
I, I think Ezra is literally in another galaxy as far as he knows, if he even knows what happened with the right. Pergol. So I think he doesn't have any reason to think that um, Ezra is still there. I Kanan also is think Kanan's dead. We don't know where Cal Kestis is. Kanan is dead. We have no idea who, where Cal Kestis is. He probably has no idea that Cal Ke- like Cal Kestis hasn't interacted with anyone else who continues to survive, as far as we know, right. on the light side. So he has no reason to think Cal Kestis is alive. And my understanding has always been, and maybe it's because I I want it to fit this scene, is that Ahsoka comes out like whatever weirdness happens in the world between worlds. Ahsoka basically misses the Galactic Civil War. Yep. Like, she emerges at a point in time after the Emperor has been defeated. Because even though she is not a Jedi, I I do not think I can reconcile it for me with Ahsoka's character that she wouldn't reveal herself at some point, especially once the rumors of Luke being, you know, that that a Skywalker – because the name Skywalker is bandied about a lot, which – does make me wonder why the whole galaxy wasn't being like, oh, I wonder if he's that child of that kid we always used to hear about, Anakin. Um, the idea that Ahsoka would ever find out about this, the Death Star, any of it, and not be like, I got to help. Mm-hmm. I, I think we have to take Ahsoka off the board entirely or else we're really like hurting her character. That makes that makes sense. Yeah. Also, oh, yeah, funny, think, you, uh, funny you said that, Matthew. It's funny that like um, Owen and – and Owen and Baru don't say, you are now Luke Lars. No, you're still Luke Skywalker. We're not yeah. going to actually hide your name. <laughs> yeah. There's there's a couple parts of that whole thing that, that don't work no, too that's well. Funny, though, that's, that's, that's really, funny, though. That's actually really good. And I never really considered the fact that, like, it, she could have just been lost in a world between worlds and, like, the events happen. But then Ezra pulls her out. And she also has, like, a very different, like, closed-off vibe after her fight with Vader. Um, so maybe Yoda sensed her, like, death in that first timeline and then just kind of didn't consider her part of the equation anymore i think i like that i like like both of your both of your takes i think are very very good let's talk about the space battle at the end a bit and then let's get into the the vader and and luke and the emperor at the end it's silly it's ridiculous i utterly love this might be my favorite space battle Um, yeah like it's just like i love getting to see not just a couple of fighters but like the rebel fleet like they got some ships they the ships can do some stuff um I'm not quite sure how there's an entire trap based on them not looking to the left bef- before <laughs> while they're attacking the Death it's Star. <laughs> um, like maybe those ships all just jumped in then, you know, who knows? But like, I don't know. I love the B-Wing so much. I love just like all the different – seeing the A-Wings do cool stuff. Mm-hmm. I love the scene. Well, didn't I they will- say that send the fleet to the far side of Endor and mm-hmm. maybe like they just emerged at that moment? So that's how it was kind of a trap? They did hide it. Yeah. Kind of. Um, yeah, no, I wrote down Space Battle is sick as fuck. Mm-hmm. Like, I just really enjoyed it. I was like, like this morning when I was rewatching, I was like, yo, this is fun. Like, as fun as the first Death Star Space Battle and the Trench Run is, like, it's X-Wings versus TIE Fighters. Right. But here we see other types of ships, like you're saying, like the A-Wing. Is that what you said it was? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's and a like, type. the other... T- <laughs> cool (laughs) and like some of the other ships and like the millennium falcon of course and it's fun i love i love lando on the falcon again even though at this point it's not canon that it was his at some point now we know it is his or it was his at some point so it's just kind of fun and then a critique of it though um when they go i think it's akbar's like they're attacking the medical frigate why the fuck did you bring a medical frigate to a space battle 
Like, well, what? Yeah. I know. I, like, that's the same I, idea as bringing, like, one of those giant, like, medical clone-like stations to the Battle of Geonosis. Like, well, why? there's always a medical frigate on hand, isn't there, to, like... But, like, it doesn't make sense, I guess, in a space battle, per se, because you're not, like... They're going well, in for a very, you, like, yeah. specific strike. You can't, like transfer people in space so like medical figures are more helpful like if you're transferring people off the planet yeah i, I kind of think there's two things i think a they weren't expecting it to be a big space but they were expecting it to be like you know fighter planes attacking the death star but not the whole imperial fleet to be there and i yeah i like i mean when a fleet sails into battle in the navy they do often have a hospital ship with them right but it's often like fairly protected and towards the back um <laughs> Yeah. What, what I thought you were going to say, I just think it's kind of a silly line, is the the first Death Star blew up a planet, but then when this Death Star blows up a ship, and Lando goes, that one's even more powerful than the first one. <laughs> like, a little silly. But I did think it was awesome, like, seeing the ships getting picked out and, like, then seeing the rebel strategy of, like, we'll go mix it up with the Death Star, or the yeah. Star Destroyers, so that it's harder for the Death Star to shoot at us. And there's one little moment. When they're trying to figure out what to do about the star, the super star destroyer, and you see an actual star destroyer in the background blowing up, mm-hmm. and I just love that. It's like, yeah, I mean, like the rebels are getting their butts kicked, but like they're not—they're taking some people with them, you know. Like oh, they're yeah. definitely doing some damage. I think my only only thing I have to add to this conversation—I thought the space battle was like fun. I don't think I feel as strongly about it one way or the other. Um, I think the only thing I always think about in this time is it took the. 20 years to build the first Death Star. Yeah. And they built the second one almost to completion in, like, two. And I like to think that, like, they understood how to do it now and they, like, you know, whatever. But you also would think that, like, I don't know. Maybe they'd figure out some way to not just have there be a direct link to the uh, to the to the main reactor. I understand it was unfinished and there was supposed to be a shield and all that. But it feels, like, again, pretty vulnerable Maybe yeah. maybe we could get a nice Bothan story to to help understand more of that. Died. I, I do think that it's one thing that Re- Rogue One helps to explain uh, in that, like, because, yeah, I think it doesn't, especially because, like, in Revenge of the Sith, something I don't really like, but it does help this, you know, Revenge of the Sith ends with the Emperor and Vader already seeing, like, the superstructure of the uh, Death Star, like, being completed. And so, yeah, I, to me, the and especially all the, like, in, diplomatic infighting and stuff and the Thrawn novels add to this, I think the only way it makes sense is if basically they had it, like, 75% completed just sitting there for 15 years while the scientists all tried to figure this out. That's fair. Uh, that makes sense. I can headcanon that. Yeah, I, I like that headcanon. I love how everything is just headcanon. Yep. <laughs> also, and to the other thing, maybe that's also the thing, is, like, they rushed it. They didn't take time to be, like... The, death, the Emperor was like, let's be, rebuild it right now. Yeah. And the designers were like, do you maybe want us to help figure out a way to not have the whole thing blow up so easily? And he's like, nah, nah, just we'll get a shield. It's fine. You we'll know? get a shield. <laughs> we won't have any exhaust ports this time. That's funny. Yeah, no more Galen Urso to fuck shit up. Yep. They thought they were so protected. So let's talk about what I think maybe. Let me cut you that. So let's talk about the Luke and Vader uh, fight and, and discussion. And let me start by asking this, because I didn't think it was a controversial point, but I actually talked to a lot of people who will see it both sides. 
Do you think Luke comes close to turning to the dark side during that scene? Or is utilizing like the dark side in any way? I think he utilizes the dark side. I don't think he ever comes close to fully turning. Yeah. But I think that at the moment when Vader threatens to try and take Leia from him. Yep. Like there is a I, – I wrote down so many notes on this. One being like, look, I get goosebumps when the operatic section kicks in at that moment. Like the stakes – John Williams makes the stakes higher. Yeah. And Vader, one of the greatest like lightsaber duelists ever, gets his ass handed to him by Luke. I mean the sheer power coming down to force Vader to his knees – um, and Luke is so much shorter than Vader. Like Luke, so and like yep. you could see the anger and the rage coming out of Luke as he cuts off Vader's hand. Um, poor Anakin, who's his hand so many times, but can't keep that hand. Um, I think that in that moment, it was only momentary, but in that moment, the fear of losing the one piece of family that he still felt like he had was enough to push him into it. Like, that was the closest I think he came. And I think Palpatine tried to capitalize on that. His overconfidence was like, you know, good. Now finish him. Take it. Yeah. Like, join me now. Like, because yeah. you thought he had him because it was that that strong of a, of a, of a reaction. Um, and I, I never thought – I never – I even as a child, I never thought that Luke Skywalker would turn to the dark side. Mm-hmm. But I think that, like, if there was any moment I could point to where, like, holy shit, like, he is channeling all his rage. Like, mm-hmm. that was, like, prequel Anakin rage we're seeing in Luke in that moment, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, for me it's like again, like you said Alex, I don't really see him ever turning to the dark side, but I do think he tapped into the dark side. Mm-hmm. And this yeah. is something we talk about more with like Grey Jedi and there has to be a good example that I can't think of right now of just like oh yeah, I can like use the dark side, but I don't have to be dark side. Mace Windu does that sometimes with his with yeah. the way he fights. Yeah, 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 exactly. So it's like Using your rage and power. And it's like it's like you tap in and then you tap out. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, I, I you, think you go that, to. Yeah, I, I think we're mostly very much in agreement. I, I've heard a lot, of, especially when Last Jedi came up, there were a lot of people who were like, no, Luke never, ever touched anything dark side. He was like always perfect and pure. I was like, no. In this moment, he gives in to hate and anger. Mm-hmm. And I think part of what it shows is that it makes you a better fighter. Yep. That, like, it does strengthen you in ways that the light side doesn't and that that's part of the seduction of it. And I, I I personally think that, like, it's the cutting off the hand and the recognizing the the shared connection with his father in that moment yeah. that pulls him back. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's very easy to think that something else would have pulled him back. Yeah, I think I think I think he was on a path that way. That could, I think there's a possibility it could have led all that way, and that he he's good enough of a person to pull himself back in a way that someone like Anakin wasn't. Um, but that yeah, that it's very much that he he's he that's the closest he ever comes, and it might still be pretty far away. But that's that's that to me that's the power of that scene is that he comes close, and I think you're right that that Vader is like overpowered. I because Vader's also tapping into the dark side. I think Vader's pulling his punches a little bit. I do too. I think Vader doesn't want to kill him. I do too. Mm-hmm. I think that for 19 years, Vader was this unfeeling. He had pushed all his emotions besides anger and hate out of his body. And he now realizes this, his son is alive. His connection to Padme, his, his connection to 
like the love and the life he once had is there and i think that confuses the fuck out of him and like mm-hmm. is what like he does pull his punches i agree i also want to just quickly note that i think folks that say that like he never touched the dark side is kind of discrediting luke a little bit in that moment like i think it's way harder to let like to feel those emotions like anyone who's ever felt angry before it's really easy to just let that anger keep going it's way harder to stop in the middle of it yeah take a minute and be like wait i need to stop and like the fact that he had that strength when he had everything he could have kept going he had you know all the he had all the right the right and the reason to in theory but he said no and then he says the iconic line that makes me scream and joy the TV every time. I am a Jedi with my father before me. Throws mm-hmm. his lightsaber aside. I literally cheer every time. Mm-hmm. And that to me makes it so much more powerful because he's like, yeah, I just tasted the dark side and I reject it. Like I reject you. I reject this feeling. Um, I recognize that it gave me power in this moment. Just like in the Clone Wars, Aaron, if you remember. Matthew, of course, you as well. But uh, Aaron, do you remember in that moment of like um, – Oh, God. When Yoda – what planet is Yoda on when he's learning, like, how to become a Force ghost in the like, – that last – Oh, I don't like, remember arc. the planet, but okay. I know what well, you're talking yeah. about. You were the only With person like I thought the... might know it because um, I sure as hell do not. But um, in that moment, he's like train- – Yoda's training and the, and the Force priestesses are like, you need to fight your dark side. He goes, I don't have a dark side. That doesn't exist. And then he realizes the lesson is no, no. You do have a dark side. You have to acknowledge it, accept yep. it's there, and then reject it and, like, say, yeah. I am in control of this. And Luke does that in the moment, and that's so much harder and so much more impressive. Yeah. Yeah. I will say, just real quick, those episodes of Clone Wars, evil Yoda's fucking disgusting. Yeah. yeah. It's like, <laughs> like, it's basically Gollum. <laughs> wait, wait, but wait, like, wait, 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 wait. Can you do that again? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that's our sign-off from now on. Um, I'm just going to take that audio and just put that at the end of every episode. That is incredible. Um, or no, you know what I should do is if we ever do want to go back to being family-friendly episodes, I'll just use that to bleep out any, like, person. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Matthew, but, Matthew, I have a question for you. What, uh, let me just respond to what oh, Aaron go. said. Like, I And what you both were saying about the, the, the Yoda thing, I think it's so true. And for me, like – a big part of what helped me in my own like mental health journey was uh, something called DBT, dialectical behavioral therapy, mm-hmm. um, which is you know it was invented like many many years later, but I think some of the concepts are still there because so much of it's about is about like far too many of us repress all of our negative feelings as a way of not letting them control us, and then they just come out. And I think that's one of the biggest failures of the Jedi is teaching people to do exactly that, mm-hmm. and that you know what dialectical behavior therapy is much more about is but no recognize, acknowledge that you have these negative feelings and which I think the Jedi are teaching at some points when they're not like so like, you know, paranoid and focused on on we can't go anywhere near it, that we have to repress everything. But, you know, because, yeah, it's the 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 way it was taught to me is let the the emotion be a passenger in the car, but not the driver. Like you can acknowledge that you're feeling this, but you don't have to let that color everything you see. And mm-hmm. it it's why... Star Wars and Christianity have about an equal effect on me in terms of my like way I'm morally and like psychologically you know understand the world and and I don't mean like 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 angels talk to me I just mean in terms of I think they are both mythological stories that have a lot to teach and mm-hmm. like the you know once you start down that dark path forever will it dominate your destiny like mm-hmm. look at any political conflict in the world or any time when like you know 
like to me, I'll say that again, like to me, when I think of that idea and that idea of once you start to hate people, you don't see the goodness in them anymore and you just become like just as awful as anyone else. Like that could apply to like my parents fighting when they got divorced and it could apply to like geopolitical conflicts, you know? And yeah. Yeah. So just, oh, there's so much I love about this movie because of that and the way like Yoda teaches him that and then Luke lives it out. I actually have, I have two things to say kind of on our last like 10 minutes of conversation back to Vader and Luke. I think you were saying he pulls his punches. I think Luke always referring to him as father starts to get to him mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. rather yeah. than like Vader or just not addressing him. It's like Luke not only now knows he's your father, he accepts it and he accepts you. Yeah. Like, I think that's a message that really gets to Vader and starts to like chip away at that hard exterior until we get to that fight. And that's why he's pulling his punches. Yeah. Because he also starts to call Luke son. Well, and and I think, like, I don't want to get too into, like, the metaphysics of the Force, but I think you could easily see it as, like, he's making a mental decision to pull his punches, or because of that, it's hard to give in to hate. Like, and it's pulling him back from the dark. Like, he's not channeling the dark side energy as much because yeah. he's also feeling compassion and and care and, and a desire to protect this other person. Yeah. yeah, I think that's a fantastic point, Aaron. Yeah. And then just I was talking with my dad this morning and he was saying how (laughs) it's like, well, yeah, Vader, like, comes to the light side at the end, but it doesn't help, like, all the people you killed. (laughs) And I was like, yeah. And so I said, oh, you do not really believe Vader's redemption? And he was like, well, I guess I believe it um, because that's basically Christianity. And my parents are Christian. I was raised Christian. I do still believe in the Christian God in some aspects, just not in the traditional way. Um, but yeah, he was like, I mean, I guess that's Christianity. You can literally repent on your deathbed and you're forgiven, which is – it's just so interesting because it is problematic. Yeah. But also – it's so ingrained in this religious culture of society that we all accept it when we see it in Star Wars. Yeah. Or accept it to an extent, I guess. But then when you, like, think about it, you're like, okay, what about the planet you blew up? Yeah. Like, how are we just going to forget that? Which goes into more of our conversation about, like, is Anakin truly redeemed? Like, is he truly forgiven? Which I know we'll get into. I think we're going to do a whole episode on it at some point. Yeah, we need to. <laughs> yeah, I first of all, as a Christian pastor, I want to sit down with your father and explain to him why his theology is wrong. Um, oh. like, I, I, because I, I, but I think you're, but I think you're right. I think that has become the dominant view of Christianity, and this goes back to the, you know, the Romans like realizing like, oh hey, if they have to come to our church to get forgiveness, then you know we get lots of power. Um, again, there's so much theology in Christian history I can go into here, but I think that. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who's one of my favorite uh, uh, Christian writers, who um, stood up against the Nazis and wound up actually participating in a plot to kill Hitler, um, talked often about the idea of cheap grace. And it's the idea of like – the Christian part of it doesn't matter as much here, but like I, I think there's a difference between the idea of any person, no matter how evil, can still have good in them and can still can still do a good thing – and still be worthy of being loved. Uh, and that that the Christian side of it is that, and that God can still love all of us, no matter yeah. our worst deed. 
But I also 100% agree. Like, yeah. And so I think to me, when people say Darth Vader was completely redeemed, I'm like, no, he did a really good thing. And I think that's okay to therefore like remember him in some positive ways. But he's a mass murderer and a genocidist. Anakin killed long before, you know, Anakin slaughtered innocent, um, you know, Tuscans. Um, like, and and I think that there's, and we'll get into the whole Anakin Vader thing, but I, yeah, I think to me that's a really important point of we can recognize he did a good thing. We can recognize he's worthy of being loved the, the way anyone is, I think, on some level by the people who love them. But like, yeah, that doesn't, and it doesn't get away from any of it. And yeah. the last thing I'll say, I've been ranting about this a little too long, but the book Bloodlines uh, is really about Princess Leia recognizing, re- wrestling with this. Mm-hmm. And of course, she never experienced uh Luke didn't experience Vader at his worst the way Leia did, and Leia didn't ever get to experience Vader, Anakin, at his best. Um, and she's really wrestling with it. She goes into a lot of detail about how she can like be so grateful for the man her father was who could come back and do this wonderful thing, um, but also that he was a mass murderer and a genocidist and, and evil, and that, that the good thing he does doesn't change all of that. I also just want to just make a quick point on this and that the galaxy remembers Darth Vader as an evil, menacing, genocidal thing. Like when he does yeah. this, there is a single witness. Yeah. And Luke burns and buries Vader alone. Leia is not with him. No one is with him. And it's a very solemn moment. And I think that like – I'm not saying that this redeems him of everything, but it felt like you know Anakin said, I cannot possibly be redeemed or make up for everything I have done – but the one thing I can do is put an end to this now, kill – or what he thought would put an end to this now, kill Palpatine and die, thus killing both remaining Sith Lords in one go. And I think that like, again, is that the perfect – is he perfectly fully redeemed? Probably not. But I think that considering everything that has gone on and the circumstances ahead of him, that was like the only – only choice he felt like he could make where he could like die feeling like he did at least like one right thing since turning to the dark side. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and this is I, just such an interesting conversation, you know, like there's no good answers, but everything we've said has been so like true and valid at the same right. time. And, and to me, that's what's so important because now we're not just talking about, Oh, you know, what's happening in this galaxy far away. Every one of us does terrible things at some point in their lives and has to ask for forgiveness. Every one of us is hurt by other people doing terrible things and has to decide, do we forgive others? You know, I think the the concept of how do you wrestle with the, the moral complexity and redemption and forgiveness is a fundamental question of humanity. And to me, it's one of the ones that Star Wars is, is you know, you can really form a lot of ideas. And, and these conversations we're having can be about so much more. On a less deep note, Matthew, did you see Return of the Jedi in theaters as a six-year-old kid? I did. It is the first movie I remember in theaters, and I remember being physically pushed back into my seat by the noise and the the, just the the experience of that crashing, like you know, the the start of the music with the start of the scroll. I love that. Um, Yeah. What I was going to ask you was that was the first. You know, it's the first time we ever see Force lightning. What was it like experiencing that in a theater, like for the first time we've anyone's ever seen that iteration of the Force? Was it 
cool? Was it epic? Was it like weird? Or what did you think? It was utterly, unbelievably powerful. And mm-hmm. like, again, I'm six. And so I don't think I had this level of intellectual awareness of it. But I think up until now, the force was something you couldn't see. The force was this like thing behind the scenes and it was like helping people. But here was the force in a physical, literal sense of, you know, lightning bolts that you could send to to, to kill someone. Um, like I think I already was really in awe of the emperor's power, but it felt like kind of the promise of that, you know, Vader saying the emperor is even scarier than I am was utterly lived up to by that. Would you say the power was unlimited? No, I wouldn't because that's one of the worst lines in cinema, and so I will not justify it in any way, shape, or form. Um, um, sometimes I, want, I wanted to point out quickly that there have been – we'll get into it in depth during Rise of Skywalker. But there have been complaints in the past about how like why does Palpatine just stop his force lightning when he's attacking Rey and Rey is putting it back at him? If you'll notice, when he's thrown down the shaft – Homeboy is still shooting lightning still out lightning. as he falls down the shaft. And it leads me to wonder, like, is that just like a, a bug of the power? Like, that you can't just cut it off as quickly as you might want? Like, maybe it takes a second um, or it takes a little bit. And so maybe that's my justification in Rise of Skywalker, why you can't stop it. I don't know what y'all think about that, but it's just funny to me that, like, he's like, clearly at first he's like shooting it back at vader both in surprise and also to try and stop him but then like he's down the shaft and he's still just kind of shooting every which way and maybe he's just like in shock and panic still but i don't know what what do y'all think that is interesting i was it's like i've always thought about it but i've never thought about it you know it's always like what but i've never taken the time to be like why for me i don't link those two different things because Rise of Skywalker, the charitable explanation, I think, is that, again, his overconfidence, like, she's clearly struggling to hold on to the lightsabers and and hold it back. And I think he honestly believes he will overwhelm her, you know? Uh, And just point out another example, um, when he's shooting the uh, lightning at Mace and Mace is redirecting them. He continues shooting while his face gets like completely, you know, wrecked. Right. I think both of those are mm. bad movies, and so that's just might be like just bad writing there. But you know, uh, okay. Says the one wearing a Revenge of the Sith T-shirt. Talk- yeah, yeah. Not yeah, Revenge of the Sith. There's some good things in it, and I, I'm, I'm always about that. I just need to like, you know. <laughs> I, I, my point is that like, there are movies where they feel so perfectly put together. That I feel like everything is an intentional choice by the writer and the director, and so I have to take it at its face value. I don't think that's true of any Star Wars movie except possibly The Last Jedi and Rogue One. So what I mean by that is just that I just – I don't hold it to a standard high enough. And this is true also of like A New Hope and Return of the Jedi, like where I look at something like that and think there's a reason in canon for it. I think it's just bad movie making. Um but but that's if I need to find a reason, I think that can be it. That like yeah, like he's just not sure what's he's so discombobulated and so surprised that that this person who he thought could never turn on him is turning on him, uh, or, or he certainly thought Vader could turn on him, but he always thought he would get there first. Um, right. Um, I want to just touch. I know we're kind of way over time. I want to touch on the, the one final thing here is is Vader's 
Yeah, Anakin, I, I, when I was younger, I always felt like Anakin's final words were kind of just boring. Like, you know, oh, tell your sister you were right. Like, that's the great Darth Vader's great Anakin was final words. But watching it this time around, um, I was like, well, actually, like, I again, I think of them as different people, and we can discuss that at length another time. But Anakin Skywalker admitting someone else was right. That seems ludicrous to me. And it was like after seeing him in the Clone Wars and the prequels, like him taking his final words to say, like, I was wrong. You were right, Luke. You you did this the right way. It almost kind of, I think, empowers Luke to go forward in life and like make better decisions and like have the confidence to like start a new Jedi Order because his father's like, you were right. You made the right choice. You were right about me. Like you never gave up. And this is where it all led. And, and I thought like it was more powerful this time around when I, when I kind of framed it that way in my head. And finally, Mark Hamill cries. All of his subtle sadness through all of the movies, actual tears streaming down his cheeks reserved for his father's death. And I did think that was cool. What? Man. He cries for Yoda. Nope. There's no actual tears, I don't think. Yes, he does. I don't think. Mm. We'll come back to this. <laughs> we'll I don't think so. I think that like the and if he does, there's way less pronounced than like they are with Vader. Yeah. Yeah. I have such mixed feelings about that speech because I think you're right. I think him acknowledging to Luke that you're right is really powerful. I also think it's just kind of like one more kick in the teeth for Leia. Because he doesn't say, Tell your sister I'm sorry about her planet. He doesn't yeah. say like, Tell your sister I wish I could have known her the way I've come to know you he just says the only thing I'm ever going to say to your sister is about how cool her brother is like (laughs) if my father's final words were you know like it just and again I think it's just because like I think Leia's character was never given the full like the way people talk about Finn's character being really disrespected in in the sequels, which I think is really honest. I think it's just always been true about Leia's character. We talked about it before with with the slave outfit and stuff. I think she's never really given the space to process that Vader is her father too. Mm. Like they never talk, and it's part of why I love Bloodline so much is because it really goes into that. Um, so I, I think you're right. I think there's so much good in what he says, and it means so much to Luke. And if he just doesn't say the words, tell your sister, I would love it a lot more. Yeah. That's a good point. Because it's like, yep. not only is it like, tell your sister, you were right and you're so cool. It's like, tell your sister, I actually came back in the end. It's okay. I'm all good. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, I agree. Just an yeah. apology or a, like, wish I could have known you would have yeah. meant but a lot more to her. Yeah. It's still a good closing thought, though. Uh, I will say it's mine. And, again, not, I'm not only going to go back to this because I think I, I want to kind of correct the, the record a bit because I said something very harsh about your father and I didn't mean that in the slightest. Oh. <laughs> um, but, like, I think I didn't fully explain, though, also how it is that I – this is just how I view redemption in general. And it comes from me out of Christianity, but I think it can come from many places – To me, I think part of the point is saying that this whole idea of we do moral math at the end of your life and we add up all the good things and we add up all the bad things and like, you know, killing this many people is negative 20, but saving your son is positive 20, you know, whatever it is. To me, part of the Christian message, but also just a a, a lot of systems is like, no, that whole system doesn't make any sense. Like, you know, like redemptive justice is, is what matters. 
And yeah, Vader never gets a chance to do any of that. He just does the like, I'm going to go out in a blaze of glory and die. And that's, that's wonderful. But it's again why like something like Zuko from Avatar The Last Airbender, his oh. story matters so much. Because he does one good thing. He saves them. He recognizes everything he does was wrong. He apologizes. And the Avatar gang is like, cool. You still tried to kill us for two years. Peace out. And he has to go on this whole long journey of redemption. So, yeah. That's and it to me that's what this movie really speaks to. Yeah. Aaron, a final thought before we close? Um I mean, I just have like a few little funny things. When Lando and Han are talking about like, oh, like he's like, Han, make sure you get that deflector shield down, and Han goes, Hey, it's me. That is the least fucking comforting thing you could have ever said. That is so not reassuring. And I think he knows that. Like, I think he knows he's kind of being a dick. But, like, it's just so funny. Yep. (laughs) He is absolutely sassy in this movie. And when, you know, they send out the three squads at the very end because (laughs) the rebels have been taken care of. And then he goes and he points his gun and all the Ewoks show up and he just shrugs. He's like, hey. What are you going to do? <laughs> and they're trying to blow out the flame when they're trying to light him on fire. It's so ridiculous. So funny. So <laughs> yeah. And Rex was there. Yeah. I believe it's Rex. Not everyone I think it's does. Rex, too. I believe it's Rex. Sure. Um. Yeah, I think that's kind of... Other than that, I have the Luke is the worst backseat speeder driver ever. Yes. Like, for the... 90 seconds he's on the same speeder as Leia he's like go this way go that way bring us up next to them it's like she's doing fine yeah like she can see she has eyes like and and I always like to think that that's a she's hey look she's a very very good pilot Mm -hmm. she has instincts that really reward her that make her much better than the stormtroopers it's like she has Jedi instincts you know yeah Uh, just the one other thing I'll say about Han <laughs> and again, this was stuff that went totally over my head as a kid, and I figured out later. I really appreciate that, yes, he has that kind of dumb jealous moment of like, oh, could you tell Luke? Mm-hmm. Although I do think there's something who said for like you're starting this romance with someone and they're like feeling all these emotions that they clearly just talked to about this guy who they kissed in front of you. Mm-hmm. And like like I think jealousy is always kind of dumb and we express it in, in like mean ways. But I, I think his jealousy is a little bit, like, justified in that moment. It's pretty valid, I'd say. But I love that later he, he like, is the one to say, like, look, if Luke is the one you want to be with romantically, I'm not going to get in the way. Like, that's a real classy move, you know? And, like, maybe he's going to have all this resentment or whatever. But I think – I think – I'm sure, like, him and Chewie wouldn't – you know, he'd, like, go bro out with Chewie and be like, God, can you believe that princess did this to me? But, like, mm-hmm. the fact that he's, like – Look, I'll step aside if you want. I was like, I, I, I love that for Han. That's a classy move. And it shows a lot of respect for Leia. And I mean, right. for Luke too, but like specifically for Leia. Right. Because like that whole, no, I'm just going to keep fighting for her. Like regardless, it used to be portrayed as like, oh, like that's how romantic. It's fucking disrespectful. Yeah. Like if she's not interested, she's not interested. Leave her alone. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I just like you said, that's a real like bigger person moment for Han. Yeah, like and like like you said, like it used to be like this movie was in '83. It's only two years later in Ghostbusters where like Bill Murray is this romantic hero for stalking Sigourney Weaver, you know, mm-hmm. far more than this. So, 
All right. Alex, you've been making a face. Is there a last thought you wanted to add? No, no, no. no. I'm going to okay. make a face to, to Ghostbusters. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you all so much. Oh, um, actually, sorry. I have a few things, like, housekeeping-wise, unrelated to the movie. Sure. Go ahead. Uh, first of all, I have an Alex cry count. The amount of times he mentions he cries in an episode, we are at four for today, but I only wow. started counting an hour into the episode. Okay. Wow. I like um, it. I like I feel it. attacked. And then, <laughs> um, yeah, just for our listeners, you guys are so wonderful. Like, I, I've mentioned before these listeners that we met at Twin Cities Con, and I got permission to shout them out. Beth and Chad, you guys are so freaking cool. And, like, awesome. I saw them a few times throughout the con. I saw them the next day while I was dressed as someone else. And they're both just so kind and they've sent lovely messages when they listen to our episodes mm-hmm. about like their thoughts and things like that. And I know both Alex and I recently got DMs from someone named David also who's just like, hey, I love your guys' addition to the podcast. Like this is exactly what we want from you guys. Yeah. We want you to tell us your thoughts, what you're liking and what I've done for all three of – well, actually, I don't think I reached out to Beth because at first I was just communicating with Chad. But – I kind of asked, like, what do you want to hear on the show? Mm. And so they've given a couple of things. Like, Chad really wants us to talk about the Night Sisters. Yeah. And uh, what was the one that David had? I don't know, but I've added them to our planning sheet of episodes awesome. we want to do. Awesome. And so, like, yeah, there's a ton of Star Wars content for us to go over. But if you guys have things you want to hear sooner than later or, like, special niche things, hit us up. Let us know. Yeah, I totally yeah. agree. And – um. I don't know if this is how you guys are getting messaged, but I know that I have seen Chad and Beth joined our Discord and that uh, we're getting a lot of great messages on Discord. We love talking to people on Twitter. We love people talking about Facebook, uh, all these places. But our Discord is one of the absolute best. The link is in the show notes. It's part of the True Story FM Discord, which is our larger network. There's a lot of great chats in there, but you can also just join this one. Uh, and yeah, it's a great way to talk to us directly. Ask us questions. Tell us more about what you want to hear. Uh, we're pretty short on time, so I'm just going to say that quickly and also say that in the show notes, you can also find all the awesome content that both Aaron and Alex make. And of course, you can find out information about how to become a member. Uh, membership really helps to support this. Um, we're listening to all suggestions, but especially if you're a member, that's going to go right to the top of the list. Uh, $5 a month, you get ad-free content, you get bonus content. We're about to do yet another chapter from the um, from a certain point of view, but also the bonus content might want to be do some of those like, hey, let's like, we'll get a whole Night Sisters episode eventually, but let's do a quick chat on the Night Sisters kind of thing. All right, guys. So Matthew had to drop out, had some technical difficulties, but just continuing what we were talking on. Um, yeah, please join us as members. Like Matthew said, you know, top of the list with any suggestions. Um, hop in our Discord. Alex and I are finally getting active in there. People send really funny memes. Um, it's just a good time. But other than that, you know, you can find Matthew at the Ethical Panda. That's on Instagram, I believe Twitter as well. Um, you can find us at SW Generations, both on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Lady Tano Creates on Instagram and TikTok. Alex, where are you at? Uh, at Alex Corman 12 on Instagram. That's what I use the most. Uh, Twitter's at Corman Alex. I don't use it very often. So um, if, you're not, if you're not in our Discord, which I highly suggest you join, the best way to reach me is probably via Instagram. Yeah, I guess I do have a Twitter, too. I guess it's Aaron McGowan 22 but I just created it for Matthew recently, so... I don't I'll, even follow Aaron yet. I'll get into it. Whoa, harsh. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll get into Twitter at some point. But for now, yeah, we're just gonna say goodbye for now, move into our members section. So, uh, we have spoken. And you stay classy, endure. Many Bothans die to bring us this information. 
Ha 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 